you have your Bibles, turn to James. James chapter 1, verse 2. We're going to be looking at verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. One of the reasons God doesn't allow you to control your own life is because you would choose never have a trial. You would eliminate all trials. You would take them away. You would make your life easy. All the problems would be solved before you got there. And it would just be a cool day. Everything would be perfect. All your kids would be perfect. Your job would be perfect. Your marriage would be perfect. Your relationships would be perfect. Everything would just be ideal. That's the way you would choose it. It's evident that's the way you would choose it because you and I, we complain when it doesn't go our way. We complain and we feel sorry for ourselves and we pray for God's deliverance. And that's not wrong to be in prayer for deliverance and it'd be a terrible thing to have one trial after another perpetually. So God doesn't allow us to go through ongoing perpetual trials. He'll put us in one and maybe he'll put us in two or three. Sometimes he puts us into a hard year. But there's always moments of reprieve. There's always moments of joy mixed in with the sorrow. There's always some good to be found in the midst of the bad. God knows we can only handle so much difficulty, so he mixes it in and knows exactly what we need when we need it. He encourages us along with us being discouraged. You see, the Bible tells us that trials are necessary. Peter says, if need be, you're tested. If need be. There's no trial that comes your way that's not needed. There's no suffering that you're experienced that God hasn't appointed. We need them. In fact, if we believe this text, if we understand this text we would come to the conclusion that we should rejoice in our sorrow. We would be thankful for every trial we face. Now, that sounds wrong. That sounds counterproductive. That sounds not right. To be thankful, to rejoice in sorrow, how can that be? I, I don't understand that. We should sorrow in our sorrows. We should complain in our trials. But if we truly understood them, 
and the reason why God allows for them, we would in the end be able to bear up underneath the trial and in the midst of our sorrows, we would be able to rejoice. We'd be able to give thanks, not just for the deliverance out of the trial, we would give thanks for the trial, the pain, the heartache, the sorrow, the weeping, the tears, the bad in our life. We would thank God for the bad in our lives if we understood why God allows for these things to happen to us. God is better and wiser than we are. Never question what you're facing. Never question the difficulties you're going through. They're exactly what you need. Your marriage problems are exactly what you need for your marriage to be good. Your problems with with your job or your financial problems or your concerns about this or that. It is exactly what you need for your good. You see, you want your good, but you don't know what's good for you. You want your good, but often we sell out our eternal good for our temporal good. We would rather have an easy life now than have glory to come. But God is not interested in making your life easy today. His goal is not just to make you happy for the moment. His goal is your eternal well-being. I was convinced that my high school basketball coach hated us players. We would run and run and run. And when you think you can't run anymore, he would, he would put us back. This is back before we had common sense. He'd put us back in a pickup and take us two or three miles after we practiced. He'd put us in his pickup, take us two or three miles outside of the um, city limits, if you would. He says, now run home and don't be late for the bus. I'm like, but he wasn't interested. He wasn't interested if I was having a happy moment. He wasn't interested if all was going well as I was losing my breath, gasping for air, getting the side stitches. He wasn't interested in how I felt for that moment. He was interested in us becoming better players. He had something far greater in mind. And God has something for you. And if need be, you go through some things. If need be, you go through some trials and testing. But trust me, there's no trial that you're going through that's not needed. There's no hardship that's not divinely ordained perfectly for your life. This is exactly what you need. And he doesn't afflict willingly or unnecessarily. He never puts something on. One ounce greater than you actually need. If you're going through something right now, thank God you need it. Rejoice in it. Now, this text tells us two things to do. How to handle 
trials of all various kinds. It tells us that we will fall in. It's the assumption that we're going to fall into various trials of diverse kinds. Sometimes it's one trial, then we get through that, then it's another. Sometimes it's a uh, different types of trials all at once. Sometimes it's sorrow, the death of a loved one. Sometimes it's humiliation. That's difficult to go through. Sometimes it's the loss of something we wanted or appreciated. It's a financial trouble. Sometimes it's just a combination of all these things, and we wonder if we can bear up underneath the weight of life, the weight of the troubles and trials that we're enduring. Can we even do this? We begin to wonder if God has forsaken us or left us to ourselves. Is there even a God? If there's a God, all things would be well. There wouldn't be trials and troubles. We begin to question God. But it's the assumption that we do fall into trials. And it tells us two things to do. So if you're going through one right now or going through multiple trials, you have fallen into various temptations and trials and hardships. James gives us two things to do. This is what you to do. One, rejoice. Rejoice. That's not easy to do. And the reason it's not easy to do because we don't see the end. We only see the storm. Sometimes the storm is so upon us that we can't see the past or the future. Sometimes our life is so discombobulated that everything seems out of place. But it tells us in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. But what does it mean to rejoice? Well, let's look at what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to walk around with a smile on your face as if there's no sorrow. It doesn't mean your heart is hurting, but you're putting on a happy face for everybody to say, well, look, this person lost their loved one, or this person is going through something difficult, and they look like all is happy, all is well. That's not what it means. To pretend like you're happy when you're miserable doesn't mean that. It doesn't even mean to replace your sorrow with joy, like a rebuke. You shouldn't feel sorrow, or you're wrong for being in a state of grief. Your heart is troubled. Well, that's too bad. You shouldn't have a troubled heart. It's not rebuking us for pain. It's not rebuking us for sorrow and grief. Grief is not sinful. Are wrong. There's a time for everything. There's a time to rejoice in the sense, and there's a time to sorrow and to grieve. Even Christ wept. Even Christ was a man of sorrows. Christ was not smiling when he was in the garden, pleading for God to let this cup pass from him. He was vexed. He was troubled. He was troubled in his heart. And often we are troubled, deeply troubled. There's trouble, then there's deep trouble. There's a hangnail, and then there's your heart being broken. 
there are difficulties that we all face on a regular basis, and then there's sometimes there's things that simply undo us, and we become unraveled at the seams. We become so distraught that we don't know how to look up, get out of bed. It's not a rebuke for that. In fact, God wants or has a plan for the sorrow. He won't get what he needs out of us if there's not sorrow. If there was no sorrow, it wouldn't work for our good. So this is not acting like there's no sorrow or pretending like sorrow is a bad thing. You see, affliction is designed to be painful. It's meant to hurt. Sometimes, sometimes, honestly, sometimes I have to tell myself, spank harder. You say, well, Jeff, that sounds bad. No, because I'm a light spanker. I really am. I'm a light spanker. And I have to tell myself, that's not going to be effective. If I love them, I'm gonna, it's got to hurt. It's got to be a deterrent. It's got to teach them something. Come on, Jeff, speak a little harder. Right? God knows we need pain. And it's got to hurt. It's gotta, you've got to feel it. It's unpleasant to experience. Even agonizing at times. Can you imagine what Job went through? I mean, every day, everything was a, sh- a beautiful day. Then a storm comes. His kids are dead. His cattle's dead. Everything's destroyed. His wealth is gone. His investments are gone. He comes down sick as a dog. Breaks out and sore, sores all over his body. Can you imagine being in the ashes and you're so miserable in your heart, you've got all the internal misery going on in your mind, in your heart, then your body is aching, and you've got your wife saying, you just need to curse God and die. And the only thing you can do to get a little bit of relief is get a, a broken piece of pottery. Can you imagine taking that broken piece of pottery and scraping the sores on your skin? And that, be, that pain of, of scraping yourself is actually comforting? Can you imagine? Now, some of you are going through some difficult things. And it's, it's meant to be difficult. So this is not pretending like we're not going through a trial. This is not putting a smile on a broken heart. This is having a broken heart. This is grieving. What does it mean then to rejoice? What does it mean to count it all joy? Well, to understand this, we have to understand the word count means to reckon or to consider. It's an accounting term. Remember when Paul says, he uses the same word in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of the knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I might gain Christ. At one time, he, all his self-righteousness, he says, that's in the positive. That's, a, that's something I'm proud of. That's on the, the positive side of the things that I think about my life. I'm, I'm a good person. But then he met Christ. He said, now I will consider the, what I thought was good. I'll put that in the negative column. I count that loss. I count that as rubbish. I count that as nothing. Well, here, we're to take the trials of life And rather than viewing it as a negative, that's what we want to do. The bad, the trials, the hardships, the pain, the sufferings, the deaths, all the the sickness and financial difficulties, we go, well, that has to be on the negative side of life. Those are negatives. Who puts pain and sorrow on the positive side? On the positive side of your life, you're going to put the bonuses, the newborn children, the happy birthday moments, the great memories, oh, these are the positives. Think about the positives of life, the things that are, you're going to count as good. Now, imagine you're assessing your net worth. You're going to figure out what your value is. So you have what you call liabilities and you have assets. Liabilities are things that are negative. Your debt, you know, you got to pay that off. That's a liability. Uh, some of you have to feed all these hungry children. You have a lot of kids. You got to feed them. That's liabilities. You know, that's in the negative column. I got to take care of these children. But some, some of you got income. You got assets. You know, they got a retirement plan, or you got uh, passive income coming in. You got your job. You got investments. You know, these things are bringing money coming in. So you got your negative column and you got your positive column. In life, we kind of think of that way, that in life we have positive and negatives. The negative column, I'm going to put my bills and relationship problems, troubles at work, troubles at home, health issues, all the things that causes anxiety and stress within me. That's negatives. I wish I didn't have those. But the positives are You know, it's that upcoming vacation you're looking forward to. It's um, that little extra bonus that you weren't expecting. You know, those are positives. Well, James is telling us, count your trials. Put that into the positive column. Count it as something to be joyful about. Put the negatives in the gain column. Every trial you have, relocate it in your mind. Consider it in your mind, not as a liability, but as an asset. Can count it all joy. Now, what does it mean to count it all joy? And again, it doesn't mean that you feel joy. It means that trials produces joy. Trials produce sorrow for the moment, but in the end, it's going to produce joy. In fact, it'll produce, as it says, all joy. Now, we don't understand all joy. We have mixed joys. Ever experienced something wonderful, but there's always something in it that's negative? You go on this amazing vacation, but, you know, two weeks of 
awesome fun, but within the two weeks, you had this go wrong, that went wrong, you had a delay, you had this at the airport. You have all these little negatives, but the positives so outweigh the negatives. It still was a wonderful time, and you kind of forget about the negatives, but the joy is mixed with sorrow. The joy is mixed with difficulties, and that is the life that we live. There's no such thing in this life of having pure joy in anything that's not mixed with a little bit of taint. A little bit of sorrow, a little bit of disappointment. In, in fact, everything, the fact that it comes to an end, there's a little disappointment in all things because it's not lasting. You know, we may enjoy our house and love our house, but even in our house, we have things we have to fix up, things that concern us. The things that bring us joy, like our children, also bring us a bit of sorrow. This is why we rejoice in this world, but we also sorrow in this world. But the Bible tells us that one day he's going to wipe away all of our tears. Now, that, this is what it doesn't mean, wiping away our te tears. It doesn't mean simply that when we get the glory, you and I will never cry again. He says, okay, you're done crying. You're done feeling pain. All the sorrow, that's done with. Now, that's true. You're never going to have a bad day again in glory. You're never going to have another trial in heaven. It's going to be the end of all your tears. No future tears in heaven. That's glorious. But wiping away the tears doesn't just mean the absence of future crying. It means that he's going to make your tears that you cried in this life make sense. He's going to show you Every sorrow you've endured, he's going to show you the end of it. He's going to show you why you went through that. He's going to go and say, look, this is what this produced in you. And when you see it from God's perspective on the day of glory, that sorrow will be nothing but pure, unmixed joy. You believe that? It's true. And we're to count it all joy now. See, we don't have to wait to glory to be joyful. It will be a joyful moment when we have all of our tears wiped away, when we understand by and by why we went through this and that. It'll be glorious. But we don't have to wait to be in glory to see that. God's telling us that now, so by faith we can count it joy now. In the midst of our sorrow, while our heart is broken, as that suffering is being endured in our hearts and our conscience and our minds and our emotions are being all torn around in our thinking, our conscience, we can go, by faith, I know it's going to be okay. By faith, this is good. And we can rejoice. Unbelievers cannot do this. They have no such hope. But we who are in Christ, we can rejoice in our sorrows. We can count it all joy. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice! 
Rejoice when your name is being thrown into the mud. Rejoice when people are reviling you. Rejoice when you're, you're upset because of your reputation being ruined. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. <laughs> Imagine that. Now, it doesn't mean your reward is great on earth. It doesn't mean everybody's going to love you now. It means that you're going to be embarrassed. But while you're being embarrassed, rejoice because you're going to be honored in heaven. What do you want? Ask yourself, what do you want? Do you want a couple temporary moments of goodness while you live in this earthly life and then die? Do you want your, your pleasant life now? Do you want your heaven now or do you want your heaven later? What do you want? If you want glory, then you rejoice in the sorrows. You can thank God for when people persecute you. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. This is the most amazing verse when it comes to sorrow and suffering. Paul says, for this light, momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see, it's teaching us that it's not just suffering it will end, it's the suffering producing the glory. It's running when you can't run anymore that's producing endurance. It's the pain that has healing properties. It's the sorrow that's changing you, conforming you. Affliction produces something in you. That affliction, no affliction would do. There's some things you can't learn without pain. There's some things you're not going to be better if you don't go through it. And you want it, right? You want what God has to offer you and what you need. You want glory. You want to be perfect. You want perfection. You want to have mature. You want to be faith. You want to have the, the strengths that you need to live the Christian life. You want these things. Well, we have to go through the pain. But notice what it says about him. He calls these awful circumstances. This would apply to Job. Job's life. He calls them light. Not that they're light, but light in comparison. They're heavy. Job's sorrow is pretty heavy compared to what I've endured. But they're light. And they're... In fact, they're not worth comparing to the glory that those afflictions produced in Job. It's like getting your finger pricked. Yeah, it stinks. It's no big deal. Not in comparison to the glory that you're going to receive. In fact, you can't compare it. It's light and it's momentary compared to something that's heavy. The word glory means heavy, weighty. And eternal. You see, every sorrow produces in you eternal glory. And if you could see the glory 
the value of the glory, you would think lightly of the sorrow compared to the glory that's coming. It's not worth comparison. If you could truly understand this concept, you would thank God for every sorrow you've been through. In fact, when life is over, when you see the glory that you're going to receive, you would say to yourself, only if I'd gone through more. It was just so temporary. It was so light. Now that I see. Now, you're in the midst, if you're right now in the midst of a sorrow, you can't see that. You just see, you just see the pain. But by faith, you have to look beyond the moment. You have to look beyond the pain. Look into eternity. An age that never ends. Now, if you could, if, if, for, if for two seconds you can produce something that, that you'll have forever and ever and ever and ever, you would say, yeah, sign me up for this. I know a good investment when I see it. Now, I don't like pain, but I love glory. And it's well worth the price. It's well worth the investment. And though you wouldn't choose it for yourself, God says, I want you to have glory, so I'll choose it for you. In love, I will kindly and gently, carefully, afflict you thank God he does thank God he doesn't leave us to ourselves thank God he doesn't leave us just for an easy life and all is well thank God not every day is sunshine and clear skies you see verse 3 how does this happen? How, do, how does trials produce joy and glory? How does it happen? How can this be? Cannot God not just give us glory without the trials? Can we not get the inheritance without the suffering? Well, verse 3 tells us how it works. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. See, trials do two things to your faith. It tests it and produces it. Or you could say it examines the genuineness of your faith and it increases your faith. First, it examines your faith. Do you have faith? Well, you don't know if you have faith or not until you've been through a trial. It's easy to believe God with a full bank account. Right? It is. <laughs> oh, I love that verse. I, my, my pantry's full of food. I got plenty of bread, and my bank account's overflowing. I even have a savings account. I, it's, and God will provide every need. I know He will. Look at my bank account. That's easy. Wait until that bank account runs dry. Wait until you have a bill coming and there's no money to pay it. Now, do you trust God? Do you trust God to pay that bill, to provide the, the necessary income that you need prior to the due date of that bill? Do you really believe God? No, well, that's the test, right? And a trial is uncomfortable. It's not easy to go through, but it's going to determine if you believe God or not. And believing God is not just hypothetical. That's a cheap, dead faith if you just believe God 
when the sun is shining? What do you do when your spouse dies? Do you believe God then? Do you believe God is still good? Do you? Or do you begin to curse God? Lot's wife, I mean, um, Job's wife says, curse God. Obviously, God has abandoned you. You need to curse God. He doesn't love you. You've been good to him, and he's bad to you. Just curse him and die. Is that what you do? She lost faith. She had no faith. But what did Job say? You foolish woman. Foolish woman. Blessed be God. He gives and he takes away, but blessed be the name of God. Now, that's faith. That's faith. He proved his faith in a hard circumstances. And God's going to put you in a test. He's going to examine it. He's going to see if you really believe. And the devil's watching to see if you believe or not, too. He thinks you're going to fail. Do you believe God will not leave you or forsake you? I, I really, I'm learning this as a Christian. I'm still learning this. It's hard, but I'm learning this, that this thing called Christianity is real. His promises are actually true. And that's not just something I, I've read in a book and heard about. That's something I, I'm learning through experience. We all are learning these truths through experience. It's real. It's personal. Peter tells us, 1 Peter 1, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the result in praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is that saying? Now, Job had a lot of wealth and lost it all. But you know what? Job got out of all that loss. For all eternity, we're going to go look at what Job did. For all eternity, he glorified and honored God in the midst of a very difficult trial and brought to God glory and brought to himself glory that he will experience forever. What do you want? If you're like me, what you want on the great day, I don't want money, I don't want wealth, I don't want, here, have some more stuff. What I want, what you want, what true Christians all want, we want to hear these words, Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. If we could hear those words, if we could hear our Savior, our Lord, our Master, our God, tell us, well done, you believed. Then glory to be God. That's what I want. You see, trials doesn't just test your faith. It increases it. It is what it says. For you know that the testing of your faith 
produces steadfastness. What steadfastness in what? Well, you're going to endurance, endurance in the trial, endurance in life, endurance in faith. It, it produces more faith, and not just a temporary faith that comes and goes. It produces ongoing faith, persevering faith. We come strong in faith through the things that we endure. Romans 5.3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and can, character produces hope. What do you do when God takes away everything? You're like the disciple. Will you too depart from me? Jesus asked his disciples. What do they say? We have nowhere else to go. When your money runs out, your friends leave you, your children are at odds with you, everything is gone, you're left by yourself, you're hurting and in pain, where do you have to go? Nowhere but God. You have nowhere but God. And it, claim, it causes you to cling more closely to the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 119, before I was afflicted, I went astray. If you just had nothing but easy days, you would wander away from the Lord. Your faith would decrease, not increase. If everything was smooth, slide back, you would go. But God puts this little, even the little things, just the little hiccups of life, not even worth mentioning. You know, just little aggravation things. Remember next time you're aggravated tomorrow, even that's just to get you lined back up. Correct you just a little bit. Everything is designed for your good. Everything is to produce in you patience and steadfastness and endurance. James 5, 7, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You see, we look back at Job's life, and we see that he endured great trials. But that's a part of his glory. That's a part of his eternal honor. And therefore, God is putting us under test. And maybe we won't be tested like Job, but your testing is sufficient for what you need. And thus, what are you to do? Consider it joy. Consider it all joy. But that's not the only thing you're to do. The second thing you're to do is to remain steadfast. Continue on. Uh, endure underneath the sorrows. In fact, that's what we see in verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect. You know, you're, 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 you're under the weight of the trial and you just got to endure it and endure it, endure it. Don't get close and then give up. Don't go 90% around the track and then at the last 10% quit. Be steadfast. 
but let steadfastness have its full effect. The last two push-ups are more important than the first eight. When it gets really tough, that's when you're really growing. That's when you're truly looking up. The more difficult it becomes, the longer the trial endures. That's when you're truly making progress. It may not feel like it. It may seem like God is distant. But know this, God is never more close to you than when you're in a trial. Not just in your imagination, but he is right next to you. It's those who don't face trials that God abandons. It's those who he leaves to themselves that God is not worried about. But every child that he loves, he disciplines and corrects and chastens. So we must be steadfast. We must endure. We must keep running. We must keep believing. We must believe and believe no matter what our eyes and senses tell us. It doesn't matter what the bank account says. The word of God is sufficient to get us through the day. He truly is our anchor that holds when nothing else stands. My my dad talks about one of his favorite church members over the years, and it was actually my uncle, Uncle Henry, who's passed away several years ago. My dad tells me that my uncle, which... I loved my uncle, very affectionate uncle. He never taught Sunday school, never got overly zealous um, when it came to the things of God. He had people come in that was just on fire for God, and they would just bring in a lot of excitement. And said, these people, a lot of them would come and they would go, come in hot and leave just as fast. But there was my uncle Henry He said over a 40-year period was always sitting in his seat at church. Always there listening. Always there to pray. Always there faithfully. He was steadfast. He endured. He kept the faith. This is what God is seeking to produce in us. Not just a quick moment of zeal. But steadiness, one who believes when the sun is shining and one who believes when the sun is behind the clouds. We see why we must remain steadfast. We see this in verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, let it have its full effect. Steadfastness is producing something in you. It's producing a glory in you. It's changing you. Romans 5.3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And this endurance or steadfastness produces character. And character produces hope. You know, we would be spoiled brat kids without suffering. In fact, we prove it all the time because of our complaining. You know, if we're not rejoicing but complaining, it shows us that we're spoiled. I, don't, I didn't say sorrowing or grieving. It's a place for sorrow and grieving. There's not a place for complaining. 
or to grumble not in our sorrows. Trust God in the midst of the deep pains. Let that endurance have its full effect. What is it affecting in us? Character. Or as James says, perfection. The psalmist says, it was good for me to be afflicted, that I might learn your statues. Afflictions drives us away from sin and this world and the love of this world. If you love your money, God will take it away from you so that you won't love your money, so that he'll be more heavily minded. Thank the Lord he does these things. See, the results of trials is (laughs) completion, perfection, lacking nothing. It's like that's the positive column. Perfection. You have no lack, no deficiencies, no liabilities, nothing but perfect. That's glory. That's heaven. That's what we want. Suffering gets us there. It leads us there. It produces that in us. You see, we don't go from justification to glorification overnight. The process from glorification to glorification is sanctification, and a big part of sanctification is suffering and persecution. Sanctification comes by faith, and faith is tested and increased by trials. So God uses trials for your and my good. What are we to do? If you're right now in the midst of one, keep believing. Keep looking up. Trust God. What else do you have to do? What else can you do? Persevere in your faith. Count it all joy and keep going. Where else do we have to go? The Bible says weeping may last through the night, but joy will come in the morning. Those who sow in tears will reap the shouts of joy. God has promised to bring us through. And he's promised to give us a reward for every tear we weep. Let's pray. Dear Lord, only you can turn good into evil into good, and we thank you for it. Forgive us of our lack of faith and complaining, and help us to rejoice in, in the midst of our trials. And keep believing until you come and get us. This we pray in your son's name. Amen.